Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3 p.m. to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. The people of God were wandering in the wilderness. They came up on the Moabites and the people and the, and the Moabites said, you can't come through, you have to go around. It was Moabite women who seduced Israelite men into sexual sin and into the worship of their foreign gods. And God brought judgment because of this and 24,000 were slain. So for an Israelite to interact with a Moabite, oh, there's a deep tension that with our modern ears, we'll just say, sounds like a little thing. No, 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 this was deep. We should notice the shameful movement, the shameful leadership from Elimelech in a, in a time when everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Look at the Israelite husband, the Israelite father, gather up his people and say, let's go find something else. Let's turn our backs to Bethlehem. And look what happened in that space. It's in the next few verses. Verse three, four, and five, the great tragedy. This, my friends, this was a 10-year nightmare for our sister Naomi. Something's happening here. Uh, this, this just reads a little different. You have a, you have a very like terse style of writing. If this was a beautiful poetry, when we get to this point, you could imagine the author strips everything away and you just have these raw, sterile bullet points of information. So it'll read something like this. Elimelech died, married Moabite women. After 10 years, sons died, sons gone. And we're looking at this and we're thinking, well, how did Elimelech die? We don't know. But the author's trying to stack the tension upon us. Married Moabite women. Can you imagine being this Israelite mother? Can you imagine being Naomi? and you see your two sons run off over here with these Moabite women, it is part of your religious imagination. You're thinking, these are the women that seduced our fathers one day? These are the women that called 24,000 to be slain? Imagine the weight, imagine the stripping away that Naomi must have felt in this season. And if that's not enough, we learn the daughter-in-laws they were barren, there's no sons. This was the curse of all curses because your name is going to stop here. To have children at all was a tremendous blessing. To have a son is a tremendous honor. You'll get to continue your line and the author is helping you see what you got right here. We've officially reached the depth of despair. Naomi has had it all stripped away. The woman is left without a husband, without, without two sons. And the two daughter-in-laws she has are from this foreign people that have caused her nation chaos in the past and there's no children to be had there. This is a woman who has lost everything. We should allow our hearts to try to go there. We should, we should try to be unguarded a bit with whatever God might have for us in here. It's the depth of hopelessness, the depth of despair, and it sets the stage for God's redeeming love. Look what happens next in verses six and seven. God visits and feeds his people. It's a microcosm of what you have in the whole book. 
darkness and then light in the form of God coming into the darkness. It's a Christmas story. God had visited his people and God had given them food. Naomi prepares to head back to Bethlehem. And it's an important dialogue that, that, we, that prepares to take place in verses eight and nine, but you need to think about this. Think about what you know about the story and how few words you've heard spoken. You have 10 years of time. You have three deaths reported. You have lots of tragedy. You have a stripping away of everything and you have no one talking to get the job done. The narrator is telling you stuff. So then whenever we have uh, speaking, these dialogues, they become incredibly important to help us understand what's going on. So the whole thing isn't narrated to us. Now we can hear these people speak for themselves. Verses eight and nine, you can see the dialogue in the story. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-laws, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant each of you find rest in the home of another husband. Look at the faith of this Israelite woman. It's a blessing to people. Immense cultural tension in the background. She could have had bitterness here, but look at the faith that she's carrying. Imagine these women, all they've been through together. Even Orpah and Ruth, they've left Moabite families and they've enjoined themselves to Naomi. They kissed and they wept aloud. This is more kindness in the midst of heartbreak. It's more tenderness on the jagged edge. It would be good for them to stay in Moab. It'd be good for them to try to return to their people and to try to marry up once again. This would be their advantage. Because Naomi knew this. Naomi knew what was in verses 10 to 13. Naomi knew it would be hard. Life would be hard for a widowed foreigner in Israel. Life would be especially hard for Naomi. Life would be hard when husband had turned their back on the breadbasket of God and led wife and child out of the city. Life would be hard to return, not to return with husband, but without husband, without sons, and without children in the womb. Life would be incredibly hard. Yet in Deuteronomy, God had set up a way for people to be provided for. In Deuteronomy, God made a provision. If your spouse died, your husband's brother could come in and essentially adopt you, kind of adopt, marry you up again, and care for you. But Naomi's experience is, I left full, and I've come back empty. We don't have time, really, to get to the depths of all of that for each and every one of us, but we should take a moment just to acknowledge that. We have all had times, haven't we? We've kind of entered into a specific season of life full because of whatever happened in our Moab experience, we too know what it is to return empty. And if that's you, if that's, the, if you, if, if, if that's you, you can relate with what God's word says. You can re- relate with Naomi. Look what happens next. Verses 14 to 17, a Moabite woman then clings to a daughter of Israel. Verse 14, at this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. If uh, you're the note-taking sort, or if you have a Bible, or even if you want to take this one and start getting busy with it today, that the key word here is Ruth clung to her. This idea that Orpah receives the, the blessing to go and she's on her way, but, but Ruth clung to her. We've seen this word before in the Bible. In fact, we saw it a few weeks ago in this room as we were studying the creation account. It's in Genesis chapter two, verse 24, that a, that a husband shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. That is the same Hebrew word that you're giving right here. 
this Moabite woman, she looks at the faith of this daughter of Israel. She looks at how she's endured everything. And this Moabite woman leaves and cleaves. But you think about everything that she was doing here. She was leaving her gods. She was leaving her way. She was leaving her customs. She was leaving her former path. She was leaving all of her means of provision. And she was cleaving to this daughter of Israel. A daughter-in-law speaking to a mother-in-law. You hear these kinds of things tossed around in weddings every once in a while. It just, it kind of brings it into a new light when you realize this is a daughter-in-law talking to the mother-in-law. You know what I mean? I mean, some, some of us have great relationships here. Others, we've had our times of tension. You can imagine daughter-in-laws in the house, like looking at your mother-in-law and saying these things to her, but it's right there. But it's amazing. These amazing vows that she makes. It, it makes me think, man, what was on Naomi's life? That this, this, this person who worshiped idols, worshiped other gods, that saw something so distinct, so unique, so worthwhile on Naomi's life, that these two foreign daughter-in-laws, they, you know, they look and Ruth is able to say, I want what you have. I want your God. I want to be with you wherever you go, however this turns, I want to be with you. You can imagine the faith of Naomi here. Well, then we see in verses 18 to 20 that awkwardness and that tension of returning home, and oh, it's just full of awkwardness. You can see the verses as they scroll past, first 18, then 19, and then it gets down into 20 and 20, 21 after that. But as they journey, you can imagine a journey with no talking, only silence. For some of us, that would be a relief. For them, this, this would be kind of awkward, you know? You imagine one person pledges their allegiance to the other, and then they start journeying, and no one's really talking about it. It's like, hey, decided to come with me. This is kind of sweet. No, the author's like, no, it was quiet, and they're just journeying. You could feel the tension. And then you can imagine what it must have been like to be Naomi walking up into Bethlehem again. You have turned your back on this place. You have turned your back on this city. You have turned your back on these people. You have turned your back on these friends. You have left. You have lived among the Moabites, and now you're coming back destitute. So you can imagine everyone, now 10 years, maybe after a pandemic, we can have some appreciation for what they must have been through and all the microevolutions they must have had in their life story. But we can imagine the stir. I'm sorry, is that Naomi? Is that Naomi? Is that you in there? No husband, she left with a husband though. No sons, she left with two sons. And all she has next to her is this Moabite daughter. I mean, the streets be talking, the town was a buzz. And you listen to the response, don't call me Naomi, right? Don't call me pleasant, call me Mara, call me bitter. And she says, I left here full and I came back empty. We can just sit and wonder with that over the next week. How does a daughter of Israel leave a town that's in famine full and she returns when the barley harvest is beginning empty? We'll sit with that for a few more days. So you imagine being Naomi, you imagine people that knew you, people that knew you when you were a little more healthy, when you were a little more fit, when you were a little more put together coming up to you and like, is that, is that you? You look different. It would have been huge. And then allow your imagination to pivot over to Ruth. What would have been like to be Naomi? What would have been like to be Ruth? You would have really stuck out. Israel's looking around. A Moabite's in here. 
a Moabite. Remember her people? Remember, remember her fathers and remember her father's fathers? Remember how they seduced our people? Remember how the, these immoral women made their way into our camp and they seduced our men away? Remember how our men, they bowed down to these women through sexual immorality and the worship of foreign gods? Remember when our God had to come down here and slay 24,000 of us because of our disobedience through these women? Moabites in the camp. Oh, imagine being Ruth. Imagine, imagine hearing Naomi, imagine hearing Naomi talk and imagine what that would have been like to be Naomi, but imagine what it would have been like to be standing right next to her and to be Ruth. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And your name is Ruth and you're standing right next to her and you're, you've committed your life to this person and you're hearing that. And the level of guilt, the level of shame, the level of I don't belong here, I will never fit in, this is not my place, well, that just comes washing over her. And then the last verse sums up the whole chapter, 10 years of tragedy and the possibility of salvation right there in verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite. And the author's just trying to get that in there. Do you, do, you, do you hear this? Do you hear this? Returned with Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, it's one story. It's intended to be read in one sitting. And I'm going to begin to move towards the conclusion of this part of the story today. And we'll see how the story builds on each other from week to week to week. But back to what we started with today. Our world is trying to figure out, is it possible to do all of this without God? Can we cut God out of the story and make sense of things? And the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God is at work in the mundane details of our lives. Indeed, in the tragedy that we experience in our lives. The author has done a great job in one chapter of setting the stage. You have characters, you have places, you have tensions, you, you have dynamics. And we're going to sit with this for the next four weeks after this. But maybe we can find ourselves in the midst of the story. Um, I really didn't know how to wrap this up for you. And this morning, a couple of questions came to me. Maybe you'll find them helpful. Um, a question for us all across this room, however involved or uninvolved you are in this house, a couple of questions for you. Where are you living as you look at this story? Where are you living? Are you living in Bethlehem? Or are you living in Moab? Where are you living? What, what would you call your, your place? Are you living in Bethlehem? Are you living in the land of promise, the land, the city? For years to come, it's going to become the, the, the house where the blessings of God are going to be poured down? Or are you living in the land of Moab? Are you in the land of compromise? Are you in the land of paganism without promises? Are you in the land of retreat without renewal in your life? Where are you right now? Moab's the land of immorality and idolatry. Where are you today? If you allow this story to help you locate yourself in your great relationship with God, what land are you in today? child of God? Are you in the Bethlehem land? Or are you in the Moab land? We have a book in our Bible named after a Moabite woman, a book in the Bible named Ruth. Surely we can see if we got to identify with this. Another question for us today, in light of this story, what are you carrying today? Are you carrying honest hurt or are you carrying humble loyalty? It's one our two sisters in the faith are carrying in here. One's carrying honest hurt and there's no judgment. She's been through a 10-year nightmare. She's lost husbands. She lost sons. She has the Moabite experience. 
She has daughters from a pagan land. She has no heir to carry her line. She has honest hurt. She's similar to the book of Job. She's experienced suffering, not due to any public sin that we're able to identify. She, like Job, there's this unwarranted, unexpected, mysterious suffering on her life. And she's carrying an honest suffering about it. Honesty of scripture, talking about the reality of loss for people who follow hard after God. We will lose things. We will lose people. We will lose places. We will lose experience. Yet you have this this other woman with humble devotion. What are you carrying today? You have Ruth here. Ruth, the more humble surrender in her life, it just begins to shine more and more as the pages of this book unfold. She's forsaking all that she she does not know. She is trusting in God with her life. What are you carrying today? And maybe the question that makes it difficult to carry whatever we carry is this one. Have you struggled to hope when the providence of God has been hard on your life? Do you feel like the providence of God has ever been too hard or too heavy on you? The weight of your circumstances was too much. You have had a few verse experience where it was one thing after another thing after another thing and there was no reprieve in between the things. There are times when it's hard to hope in God. When we're surrounded by famine, when we're longing for what we do not have, when we're longing for what we need and we cannot get to it, when everything seems foreign to us, when new places feel foreign, when new relationships feel foreign, when death strikes, when pain won't go away, when despair begins to stink in, when it looks like there's going to be no light in the dark situation. It can be hard to hope in God when we're carrying loneliness, we can't find someone to provide for us. When we're feeling a friendlessness, we just can't somebody to ident- find somebody to identify with us. When we're fe- feeling a barrenness, a wanting a family, and we can't not have one. It's hard to hope in God when we experience grief. It's hard to hope in God when we experience dark struggles, when we get the diagnosis, when a few sentences are uttered to us and it feels like everything's going to be different. It's hard to hope in God. And with that, we'll just go one layer deeper. What are you believing in today? Questions from Ruth chapter one. What are you believing in today? Do you believe God is good? And do you believe God is in control? You might be sitting here, it's like, where are we gonna find some redemption? Where are we gonna find some levity? This looks pretty dark, like sisters lost everything. This is hard. I'm sure I can read ahead, but is there any good news at the end of chapter one? And my friends, there absolutely is. And they come from the mouth of Naomi of all places. And what Naomi says in verse 20, she says, don't call me Naomi. The Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has been against me. You get four mentions of the name God and you get two different words. They draw out the two characteristics of God that are present in Ruth chapter one. First, we have this idea that God is great. He's almighty. It's the title of God. Get this. He's El Shaddai. The Almighty One is present right here in the mouth of Naomi. His power is present in the mouth of Naomi. His omnipotence is present in the mouth of Naomi. And Naomi, Naomi, I'm about to say her name, she confesses the Almighty has done this. She doesn't look around and say, God must have lost his cool. God must have forgotten who I am. God must have lost my station. God must not be tracking me anymore because my position doesn't look right. Now God looks at a 10-year nightmare and, and, and Naomi says, so the Almighty did this. Do you believe that? See what she totally gets right, one detail. She, she doesn't attribute it to chance. By the way, Job does the same thing. Mysterious, 
unexpected, unwarranted suffering comes into his life, he continually refers to God as El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. He says, you're the almighty one. You have complete control on me. You are the one running everything inside of my experience. Let's be a church that doesn't look at each other and say things that just don't make sense. Well, God was surprised. God didn't know what he was doing. Oh, you know, God loses his grip every once in a while. We just got to hope he can get a hold of this thing again. Now let's have the faith of Naomi to say the almighty one is controlling my last 10 years. Doctrine of God's sovereignty, it becomes a sure foundation that we can stand on. It becomes a promise for God's people. We can trust him. And then what we also see in here, Naomi then refers to him as Yahweh, the faithful love of God, Yahweh. He's faithful, he doesn't give up, Yahweh. She sits here, this suffering woman calls him El Shaddai and Yahweh. He's almighty and he's faithful in his love. God is both great and God is good. We can trust that. And we can trust that because there's a hint of hope in this chapter. The first time the word hope appears in your Bible is at the end of this chapter, and it comes from the mouth of Naomi as well. I find this fascinating. A hint of hope as the barley harvest was beginning. There was something on Naomi's life, though Naomi was looking around and feeling around, and it all felt lost. It all felt dark. There was something on her life where she felt incredibly empty, and yet a hint of hope was there. Now, it's not barley, but it is the Lord's Supper. I'm going to invite um, Abby and Megs to head to the back, grab that, get ready to pass that out to us. And we're going to have an opportunity to take and eat as we look at Bethlehem, the house of bread that ran out. And we think about Moab, the foreign land that didn't satisfy. And we can think about Naomi's situation, a hint of hope as the barley harvest was beginning. Look, the Lord's Supper is coming through the room. And I encourage you, if you're trusting in Christ today, take one of these. And if you're not trusted in Christ today, let the basket pass and keep listening to what I'm saying. Receive the offer of the gospel that's being extended to you in this moment. This represents a sacrifice where Jesus, the bread of life, he allowed his life to be torn open so we could be satisfied and put back together. He allowed his very blood to be spilled so we could have the forgiveness of sin. So as, as this is going through the room, if you're not trusting in Jesus, let the basket pass, receive the message that's being offered to you today and continue to think on this with me. For Naomi, as the barley harvest was the beginning, she's walking around and she's thinking, I, I'm empty. She's walking around and she's thinking, I left here full and I've come back empty. And for all those empty parts of our souls, we're gonna take the supper trusting Jesus to be our fullness and fulfillment on all those places. Just sit tight with this for just a moment and think about this. Uh, famine strikes Abraham and Isaac, and he moved them out to another stage, another situation. You think about it, famine, it hit Jacob and his family, moved them out to another stage and another situation. With the eyes of faith, can, can we see how God might even allow famine to come upon us? God might even allow movements to befall us. And with the eyes of faith, could we just begin to recognize, is there any barley harvest that's coming up around us? Could God be preparing the way around us? We think God is far from us. We should consider this story. And remember, he has been faithful and faithful he will be. Hebrews 13, eight, faithful he has been, faithful he is now, faithful he will be in the future.
And Naomi's sitting here hungry. She's sitting here empty, and little does she know that standing right beside her in a Moabite daughter was going to be the fullness of the presence of God as a means of her salvation. God is indeed working in our midst. He's working in ways that we might, even, might not even observe, might not even expect, but he is among us. And God is indeed laying the foundation for the greatest demonstration of his faithful love. And this story here, it's leading us up to another time in Bethlehem where the Son of God is going to be born into a manger at Christmas. Luis, we're good. We're going to be born into a manger at, at Christmas. A time of great famine is going to lead to another time of great harvest. And with that, my friends, as we prepare to take the supper, receive the gospel from the book of Ruth. Receive the gospel from the book of Ruth. We find ourselves in the middle of this story. All of us, we are all like Elimelech. We have all wandered away into idolatry. At one point or another, we have all turned our backs on God. We are all Ruth. We were all born into a land of idolatry and sin. We were born under God's wrath. All of us, we were pursued by our God in our sin. He sent ones has come to us to share news with us and to redeem us. And this story, it points ahead to another story. It points to the story when God takes our sin and he nails it to the cross. And in our sin, God covers over all of our past mistakes and regret. He covers over every day we've ever spent in Moab. He covers on every time we've ever been Elimelech and turned our house on God. Grace comes in and it covers all of this heavy for us. Naomi had experienced great loss and we too, church, we will experience great loss. We may not immediately be able to recognize those ways that God is providing when he seems far off, but you can know that God will show himself to be faithful to you. And we know this through the supper. So we remember on the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, I had trouble with this last time, bear with me. Boom. On the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, he was going to give his life literally provide salvation for the world. The same one who walked around and he said, I am the bread of heaven. If anyone's hungry, come to me. He gathered with his disciples at that night around the table and he took very simple elements. He took bread and he redescribed that bread to his people. And he said, this, it represents my body and it is going to be broken for you. So we who are trusting in Jesus for salvation, as we eat this, we remember only Jesus can fill us. Jesus sat around the table with the disciples whom he loved began with him washing their feet. This outward washing was only symbolic of what he was prepared to do with the insides of their souls. He was going to clean them. Every promise from Ezekiel 34, 35, 35, 36 is going to be completed. He is going to cleanse his people from all uncleannesses. And every covenant in the Old Testament, it required blood to seal it. And Jesus looks at the disciples, one which was going to go on and betray him. And he said, this represents the covenant that I'm going to make between you and me. I'm gonna seal it in my blood. So we take and we drink and we remember him.
We're going to have time for ministry here in just a moment. Time for ministry where you sit in your seat. God's word has been open. The spirit is here. He's no doubt working in some of our hearts today. Receive the gospel again. Identify with the Limelech. We too, we know what it is to turn our back on the house of bread. Identify with Ruth. Know what it is to be born in that foreign territory. Find yourself under that pursuing love of God again today as we have some time to sit and to dwell and to meditate on this. Receive the finished work of the cross afresh in your life today, I beg you, church. We take every day of Moab, every day of regret, every day of unbelief, every moment of unfaithfulness, and he nails it to the cross. What do we do when the providence of God seems hard on us? We look back and we remember, faithful he has been. We look around, we consider the taste on our tongue, and we say, faithful he is. And we look ahead in expectant faith, faithful he will be. Go ahead, stand to your feet. In just a moment, some people are gonna be available in the front right of the room for prayer. Let me pray for you. Our Father in heaven, Father, we desperately need the truths of the book of Ruth in our lives. We need to get wrapped up in your faithful love. Father, we need to be able to confess today, you are almighty, you're the one who's in charge. So Father, for every place that's represented here, for all the, the, the fractions of Bethlehem and all the fractions of Moab, God, we bring ourselves to you today. For all the honest hurt in this room and all the humble devotion in this room, God, we bring all of that to you. God, for our struggle to confess you is both good and great when things don't look our way or go our way. God, we bring that to you. And God, I ask that you would give us as a church the eyes of faith to see the barley harvest around us that is yet to begin. Help us to see it, God. Help us to believe. Minister to us as we sing to you and we pray to you now in Jesus' name.